<laughs> what is it that they used to say on that in that cartoon? Was it? It's no yeah, fair. I'm for the other team. No, yeah. was, was that what he said? Hooray! I'm for the other team. So no, before when that, happy, when you're hey, happy, hooray! Or sad, oh, or excited, eek, or, or mad, rats. <laughs> <laughs> wow or glad wow an interjection starts a sentence right i used to love the way she'd say she'd go, wow. wow she sounds like janice from the muppets <laughs> yeah yeah she did is that the one that would go where the kid would go darn that's the that's end, the end. That, uh, i yeah. used to like that yeah. I used to love those. Interjection for excitement, for emotion. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I had those at, at some time, but I can't remember. What, did we have that on DVD or did we have that on VHS? God, I can't remember. But I think we used to we used to School have House Rocks. I had it on. I had it on VHS. Lolly, lolly, lolly. Get your adverbs here, father, son, and lolly. Your adverbs. <laughs> that was that wasn't one of my favorites. I like conjunction junction. What's your function? Working out phrases and I, I used to like I'm just a Bill. Yeah, but you don't like Bill anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I like uh, so I unpacked my adjectives. <laughs> he was a hairy bear. He was a scary bear. <laughs> Verb. That's what's happening. Give me a noun. I can bend oh, I it. Li- I like Verb. That. <laughs> I liked that one. Back to the bin. Hmm. All right, I got one. Wake up! What? So come on. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spataro. I'm joined by Sleepy Bill Robinson and Sarcastic Scott Gardner. Hello. How's it going? Uh, What do you mean by that? (laughs) So we are here to... It's funny how how you you want to speed things up when you have somewhere to be. That's right. You never care when we have somewhere to be, but boy, when you got somewhere... You never really have anywhere to be. It's all about cracking the whip. Well, you know... You never have I've got nowhere else to go. I got nowhere else to go. I got nowhere else to go. I got nothing else. <laughs> so anyway, well, that didn't take long. Last week we did our what what's we the, last what's left the term? Our what's the term, Scott? What? Shameless Shameless obligatory coattails riding something Superman Batman episode. episode. Yeah, there you go. And if you'll recall, I did a book. I don't Scott recall. did a book. Mike Bailey did a book. And Bill sat there with a book in his hands with a big grin on his face, eagerly waiting to, to do it, and never got to do it. I had so two, tonight. I had two books. So tonight, it's Bill's turn. And we'll only be doing Bill books. Bill Bookner. Bill Bookner. And I know some of you out there may have just went, oh, my God. But fear not, true believer. I have concise and on-key, on-target synopsis. Do you know what that word actually means, though? On-key? No, concise. On-target? Synopsis, even. (laughs) Concise. Isn't that Cochise's other cousin or something? Concise. 
Anyway. Any Native American sends all hate mail to back to the bins, courtesy of Dr. Bill. As we record this, uh, today they released the final trailer for Civil War. Haven't seen it yet. So Bill's opinion is untouched. (laughs) I normally would have avoided it, but for some reason I fell prey to weakness and I watched it today. And I could try to watch it now to give you my instant reaction. Why don't you do that? All right. Hold on. I'm sure I can call up. So, Civil War. Do, 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 I just misspelled civil. <laughs> Put a semicolon in instead of L. It's city. Siva. Colon. <laughs> just made up a word. And suddenly Bill was watching Ken Burns' The Civil War. God, now I put two L's in. Okay. No, two I's. Okay. Civil War. They're all two I's. No, no. They were right next to each other. There okay, we go. here we go. Civil War trailer. Yeah, I got it. I got I, I it just started. It's on YouTube. All right. So we're opening on a, on a snowy field. Somebody's turning a key. Save many people as we can. Sorry, it's a winter soldier. Okay. Captain America. The Marvel logo. Ooh, car blowing up. New York. Uh, yeah, recap of the Avengers. All right. Oh, recap of... Uh, oh, Sokovia. Recap of Avengers 2. All right. Everybody looking sad. Thunderbolt Ross. Hmm. Inner Iron Man. Hmm. Ooh, what's that? Something coming out of the water. Or something going into the water. All right. A little friction. Oh, that's like the back... Oh, it's a Black Panther. Winter Soldier firing a gun in Iron Man's face. War Machine going down. You sure this is a new trailer? Oh, trailer too. Okay. Yeah, I guess this is kind of new. Oh! Well, that was a sucker punch on Cap on Iron Man's part. Oh, that was pretty cool. Oh, that was Crossbones! Alright, Captain Iron Man going at it. I love the line. I could do this all day. I love that. Uh huh. All right. Mmm. <laughs> Spider Man. Mmm. Interesting. Yeah, I think Spider Man looks a little too video gameish CGI. Oh, stop it! Shh. But that doesn't mean he's going to look like that in the movie. And he called him under. Looks like that in this trailer. If he no. looks like that in the movie, I will be disappointed with the CGI. I have to say. Hmm. Doesn't mean the movie's going to suck. It means uh, I think he could look a little better. Yeah, I could have swore I saw crossbones in there. Yeah, I think you're right. I think. Yeah, you're... yeah, you did. And, and uh, uh, I, I just had to go back and check because in that scene where the two teams are rushing at each other, I thought I saw crossbones again, but it is, it's actually War Machine. He looks really funny when he's running. He, he looks like really beefy. He's kind of running, and I, I, you know, just because it's just a quick cut, I thought it was Crossbones again, but it, it is not, which would have been well, really weird for Crossbones. Well, it looked like Ant- Ant-Man was jumping up in between Iron Man's fingers, <clears throat> running along his uh, arms. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Well, the rumor has it, um, according to some toy things that have that have uh, been out there, some images and stuff. Which ah, were, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Fine, never mind, I won't say anything then. I mean, I think I know what you're going to say, but some people may not want to know, although it might oh, be kind of obvious. This is true. This is true. Well, yeah, I mean, I, all I was going to say is I, I won't say what, what the spoiler is, but um, I would rather have seen that than Spider-Man. I was actually kind of hoping that they were going to hold off on, on revealing Spider-Man. Do you I know what you're talking about, Paul? Or do you want to be? Uh, I mean, we could beep, we could bleep this out. 
no, you know what? I would say no. Don't bleep it out. Uh, or I'm not going to bleep it out, but we'll just give warning. Scott's going to say something now that's a spoiler. If you, uh, <laughs> you know, if you don't want to hear it, just cut ahead 30 seconds and so, go. So according to some leaked imagery that's that's out there for, I think it's mostly Lego stuff. But anyway, um, that Ant Man is also going to be Giant Man uh, in this movie, and personally i would i would really like to have seen that as opposed to um spider-man i was i was really hoping that they were going to hold off on uh, on revealing spider-man and, and and reveal him in the actual movie but one way or the other uh, you know pretty cool and uh, i think he i think he looks good i can see where there's slight variations with the costume but overall i really like how uh, the you know the the mask and the headpiece and everything looks i mean from like the shoulders up I mean, he's he's right off the comic book page, so that's pretty damn cool. So, mm. yeah, I think he looks good. Yeah, honestly, I, I sometimes you know I, I like to go as spoiler free as I can, and I've known for a long time that Spider Man was going to be in it, and I've heard uh, just in case people are back with us, I've heard the spoiler that you talked about, Scott, before. Uh, but I would prefer not to see either of them before the movie, and I kind of regret seeing Spider Man already you know because like i said it's it's i it felt to me like it wasn't completely done anyway and i'd rather just see it in the movie see it on the big screen right instead of seeing it on my little computer screen once i've seen it then i can see it in a lesser format but i'd like to see it the first time you know in in the theater experience now you think with uh civil war earlier we might get a dr strange teaser i wouldn't be surprised if we got a little something in there yeah i uh if you remember, the Spider-Man scene that they showed here was exactly what I was predicting that we were going to get in the Ant-Man-Hulk commercial that we got. I thought at the end of that commercial, just as Hulk was about to take the drink, the web was going to come down and take the drink from him. Mm-hmm. That commercial uh, was really cool, by the way. Yes. Did you guys, either of you, watch any of um, Agent Carter when it was no, on? No, I have it all on my DVR, and I'm going to have to... Uh, I'm gonna have to binge it, but I just binge caught up with uh, Agents of Shield. Oh, okay, I was like nine episodes behind, and I binged. What'd you think of that? It's this season is is as good as it's been. Mm-hmm. It, it's really been. I, I I think it's been very interesting, very exciting. Uh, so you're all caught up. Yes, except except for this week's. No, episode. I watched this week's also. Oh, okay. How about you, Paul? I mean, Scott. Uh, yes, I'm all caught up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm all caught up on Agents of Shield. I have not watched this season of Agent Carter yet, but like Paul, I have it all um, uh, DVR'd. I just haven't made time to watch it yet. I've heard excellent things about it though, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, because they touch on something on on a Agent Carter that could possibly tie in. I, I I think at least possibly tie into Doctor Strange, and you may you might see that after you watch it. So that's all I'll say about that. We can talk about that whenever you guys watch uh, watch that. Cool. So you want me to jump into the first book? Please. Do you, well, do you want to jump into the first book, or do you want to just do both books simultaneously? Either way, whatever you prefer is fine with me. Um, I can just – I can, yeah, because the first synopsis is only three sentences. That's right, people. The first book synopsis is only three sentences. Ooh, how you like that? <laughs> So I could just read the first one um, and maybe just, uh, yeah, and I could guess I just roll right into the second unless you have any specific questions. Are we ready? Freddy? 
I would say our silence is an indication of being ready. You are stalling! <laughs> we should just isolate that. <clears throat> All right, the two books I'm going to be covering are Superman, Batman. That was, um, and these, both of these books were out in early 2011. Uh, it's issue 79 and 80. It's a two-part story. That's uh, kind of why I had to cover both because the, the the they're pretty quick and they flow right along with each other. Uh, the cover dates on each were February 2011 and March 2011. They were on sale actually at the end in the beginning uh, of 2010 and 2011, respectively. Uh, cover price for each issue was $2.99, and the story going through uh, the two books is World's Finest Part One and World's Finest Part Two. The writer was Chris Roberson for each. Artist was Jesus Marino. Letterer was John J. Hill. Colorist was Ken Schrift. <clears throat> and the letterer was Steve Wands. And the cover artist for each issue is Fiona Staples. And on the first cover uh, for number 79, we have Superman, Batman, and Robin of the 853rd Century, or DC 1 million, standing atop a dark, multicolored cube. While in the background, we see space and a planet with a moon, and a little robotic Robin is ready to rumble with his fist raised. And um, for the second cover, I guess I'll just cover that now is a pretty uninspiring white background with Batman swinging into the frame on a wire and Superman is drunk flying into the pay, into the screen, into the uh, view as well. I say drunk flying because he's like at a really weird angle. He's not coming straight at you on a level field. He's doing like sideways. So. Right, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in here now because right, since you're deciding to skew it, <laughs> We had a discussion before about the fact that I actually thought the second one was be slightly better than the first. And you're high. And, and I'm going to and I'm going to tell you why right now. Have you ever seen the Sports Have Illustrated you ever been Swimsuit mellow? issue? Have you ever read the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit issue? There's words in there. And have you? No, I'm not talking about the words. Hmm. And have you seen when they show the models and they're not actually wearing a swimsuit, but they're wearing body paint instead? And you start looking at it and you're saying, "Hmm, I could see that this is that there's no swimsuit here." Okay, this so is a very you... disturbing cover on number 79 because it looks like Superman wearing body paint. And I don't like that. I, 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 was, I was keeping that in mind while I was looking at 80. Oh, I see what you're saying. Oh. You could see hmm. his belly button. <laughs> hmm. All right. Well, maybe I'll give body you that. Paint maybe Superman, that's why it's very you disturbing like looking. It. And I don't like it. Maybe it's just a form-fitting costume. It's a little, maybe they've got some it's weird... a little too form-fitting for my taste. <laughs> it's future fabric. I don't care. I don't like it. It's supposed to be made from the, the blanket he was wrapped in. No, it's not. Not here in DC 1 million. Well, it should be. It should be. It, he shouldn't be wearing super body paint. I'm sorry. That would be after 853 centuries passing down the same costume. That'd be a pretty natty, smelly costume. I think they would upgrade it. Yeah, to body paint. Some kind of future lycra or something or, or molecule thin, uh, you know, suit. Maybe that's why it's so form-fitting, so f so firm, so fully packed. I don't like it. I'm sorry. Scott, you have any opinion on the two covers? Yeah, I, I got to go with uh, – I got to agree with Paul. I really don't care for these at all. Um, the, the one for 79 um, – Well, at least there's more going on in 79. And really just – yeah, it makes me uncomfortable. 
And Batman, I, I, I know it's just the lighting or the shading or something, but he looks like his ears coming out from the side of his scowl right there. It's supposed to be that that full face plus his. It just uh, looks like somebody took his face and smashed it on a bar or something a few times. Right. Well, it's plus pretty his, flat. His, though, that doesn't look like bat ears. It looks like horns. So he looks more like. Uh, it's the future. All right. In well, future, I understand that. In the future, he's bat devil. See that—that's the thing. Is I, I'm kind of surprised you guys are leading off with uh, with this this part of the discussion. Um, well, I, all I gotta say on this is that Look, neither I'm I'm not really fond of either cover, and usually I. I like black, uh, white. Uh, y- y- usually, white I'm what? more of a fan of a white background cover, but I don't know. I just like the other one better because it just seems like there's more going on. But uh, yeah. they're both by the same artist, apparently. Yeah, Fiona. Staples, I believe. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really too familiar with her, but I know her name. Uh, I, I'm not crazy about either. I just find the one on number eighty, although very stark in its lack of background, I find it to be just slightly less disturbing. Like just because you're not comfortable in your in your uh, <laughs> sexuality, uh, I'm, you know. I'm fine with my sexuality, but I'm a little I'm a little bit questioning future Supermans. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, just because yeah. he hangs around with bat devils and little robotic robins, don't don't judge a guy. Little robotic robins, the, probably the best thing that cover has going for it. <laughs> I'm just concerned that that all this this discussion of the cover is going to detract from uh, from the issue itself. Because I don't know how you guys felt, but I loved this story. I really did. I thought that this was some some solid stuff. I regretted well, that we weren't able to get to this uh, last time around, but it's probably just as well because we were. We were running very late in for that episode, so my uh, my energy level was down. But uh, I wanted to make sure that we uh, we really got a chance to cover these two issues properly because uh, I, I wanted to sing their praises. I had never read this before, and uh, when Bill proposed them, you know, initially my response, you know, seeing which issues it was and what series it was, I was kind of like, yeah, because I and, I, I, I and that's much. why I picked these because I knew you would be. Eh. Well, so I we, tell you, so you why, know, don't we, uh, why don't we jump into the synopsis and then we'll discuss them. Sure. Okay. <clears throat> the synopsis for issue 79. Epoch, or excuse me, Epic or Epoch, Shakur, the Lord of Time, allows himself to be captured by Superman, Superman and Batman of the 853rd century. Oh, sorry. That was my Duck Dodgers uh, take. Century in order to get his hands on some of his own weaponry. From the various Justice League trophy rooms spread throughout the solar system, he is eventually able to gather what he needs and put the time whammy on Superman and Batman, leaving them in the future as he travels back to the past to take over what appears to be pre-crisis DC Universe with Superman, Batman, and Robin, the teen wonder of this era, standing in his way. End part one. Huh? Huh? Okay. Huh? Huh? Nothing. Nothing. What happened? That's what happened. That was a synopsis. A brief synopsis. I do finally do a brief synopsis, and I get nothing from you guys. (sighs) Okay. Yeah, Bill. Very, very good. Good. Good job. Not talking. Would you like me to cover the second issue? Yes. Okay. Story. Whoops. Excuse me. I read from my notes. Epoch for epic. Using. Science! Battles Superman, Batman, and Robin of the Pre-Crisis Era. 
Red solar rays, high gravity, and missiles are used on the trio until Epic tries with the... Uh, what? Oh, tires with the game and encases them in the Omega Barrier, which is an impassable, which is as impassable as the event horizon of a black hole or a roach motel, whichever is stronger. Back in the 800, uh, which which is stronger. Back in the 853rd century, Superman of this time is able to use his fifth dimension senses to determine that he and Batman are stuck in a time loop. He is able to make Batman aware of their plight and the two form a plan to escape. Back in the past, Epic has conquered the Outsiders, Teen Titans, and the rest of the Justice League. Inside the Omega Barrier, the Trap Trio can only watch, but Superman, using science, is able to hawking his way... You know, I'm doing quotations in the airs, and nobody sees this except me. <clears throat> hawking his way out of the barrier, blasting the crap out of Epic in the process. Fisticuffs ensue, and Epic decides to run for it, but during the melee, his anti-hourglass was damaged, and as he tries to jump through time, he quantum leaps around, trying not to set what was right, but basically gets his ass handed to him by various incarnations of, uh, of, of Superman and Batman in every era he encounters, until finally he ends up back in the 853rd century to find Superman and Batman free from his trap, and... As my daughter enters, coming back for her... My dough. Yes, yes, your dough. Here you go. Thank you for interrupting my synopsis. You're welcome. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. See you. <clears throat> Before I was so rudely interrupted. Until he finally ends up back in the 853rd century to find Batman and Superman and Batman free from his trap, and Epic is put back in prison. Uh, note... Soups used fifth-dimensional whammy stuff to escape the fourth, the four-dimensional trap. The heroes look on and feel sorry for Epoch, 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 because his fixation with the past prevents him from seeing the possibilities of the future. The end. That was a little bit longer than the first one because I actually got in some details. It was a slight bit longer, and plus, you said Epoch, Epoch, oh, Epoch, about twenty-five Eep, times. Epop orc. Epoch, 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 So, I, I liked it. I thought it was an, a fun, kind of a fun read. I don't think I was as high on it as Scott. I, I just, uh, you know, I thought it was okay. Oh, for God's sake. Here we go again. <laughs> it's it's not Carmine Infantino uh, Star Wars. <laughs> or Infantio. In, Infantino. <laughs> <sighs> But it was, amateurs. you know, like Surrounded I think it was, I think it was all right. Why is it? Why is it that if you love something, I have to love it, but when I love something, it's okay for you to not? Why because is that, Scott? I'm Please right. Explain to me. And who's you're an, wrong. Wait, who's an amateur? You guys, both of you guys. Me. Freaking amateurs, man. Just because I can't say epic the same way. <laughs> you can't read. You can't say most of what's in your synopsis. Hey. <laughs> It's, it's amazing that you pronounce it two different ways and you do it for both of them wrong. All right, so what what was your beef with this? I didn't really have a beef with it. I just thought it was all right. Like, you know, there was nothing about it that really... There was It never became like a real page turner where I thought, oh, I can't, you know, like I'm loving this. It was just all right. I thought it was a lot of fun. I mean, it didn't change my life or anything, but I thought it was a lot of fun. See, for, for, for one thing, for me... This was, you know, from the moment I saw the cover. Now, despite the fact that I think the covers are just not visually appealing, yeah. 
you know, going back to what I was saying before, you know, Bill uh, let us know what books he was bringing to the show. And when I initially saw, you know, just the name and the number, you know, it was Superman, Batman, 79 and 80. I didn't remember what they were or anything like that. I I, I bailed on Superman, Batman pretty early on, um, you know, in its run. So, you know, the numbers meant nothing to me, but I just had those directions just kind of like, you know. But then pulling up the covers and seeing this one for 79. Now, despite the fact that I don't like the cover itself, it says down at the bottom of it, uh, the return of Superman and Batman from DC 1 million. Now, I'm probably going to shock the hell out of people by saying this, but I really liked DC 1 million. And yes, I actually did like something that uh, Grant Morrison, you know, had a, had a hand in. But I did. I really liked DC 1 million. I was actually a big fan of that series when it came out. And I liked the Superman of, of DC 1 million. I like some of the other characters, too. I thought Batman was cool, but the whole, uh, you know, living on Pluto thing and, you know, all that was kind of dopey, I thought. But overall, I, I really liked it. But I, it was particularly the Superman of DC 1 million that I really liked. So, you know, knowing that we were touching on that again... And then as soon as you get into the story, you know, right away. Now, I don't know why the hell they're calling him Epoch. Is this or, not or the epic. time? <laughs> what? <laughs> what did you say? Or Epic. <laughs> it is I not. think they had something to do with there was because uh, they reference and I did a tiny bit of research. Not a lot because, you know, I'm Dr. Bill. Come on. Right. And and um, I think this references, I guess, he, I guess there's a JLA Wildcats crossover, which I might have, but. I don't re- really remember reading, and I guess that yeah. was uh, the name he was going by in that, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, I have that, but I couldn't tell you shit about it. Because I, I thought he was just the basically the Lord of Time. Right, yeah. Well, you know, as soon as the book opens and it's him, I was like, yes, because I like this guy. You know, he, uh, he was the big bad in that um, uh, Justice League story that had all the Western characters in it, including Jonah Hex, and I always really liked that story, but... Um, you know, so right away I, I was digging it just, you know, it's hopping around time and then you realize that it's going to be touching on, you know, both the, uh, you know, the Justice Legion A characters, you know, from the 853rd century, but then it was also, you know, bouncing around kind of their time and their world and everything. But then at the end of the story, we wind up back in, you know, quote unquote, modern day with, uh, you know, with the Superman and Batman that we know, plus the little jaunt through the Phantom Zone was kind of cool. I like that. You know, seeing- yeah, because that shows Monel um, and the at the time in Action Comics when they uh, what was it? Richard Donner was writing, yeah. um, did the story, and it was uh, uh, Zod, Zora, and uh, or not Zora, Zara, uh, and and Non. Non, um, yeah. But I can't remember who the uh, the woman is that they show in this spread when he's traveling through the Phantom Zone. The one in the white? Yeah, who is that's, that? That's I... Phantom Girl from the Legion of Superheroes. Oh, she was trapped in the Phantom Zone? Well, she could... See, or I... That's, how, that, that's where she's... Hmm. That was my only thing with this story, um, was that I had, a, I had a lot of trouble placing exactly, like, what continuity it was supposed to be. But that was actually one of the things that I found appealing about the story, is that it, it, it was like it was kind of not tied to a specific version of Superman-Batman continuity. And I kind of liked that. It, it, it was kind of like it was embracing all the different ones to, a, to well, one degree or another. So Phantom Girl had the ability to actually phase herself in and out of the Phantom Zone. And at oh, least okay. one version of the 
of you know, the, the explanation of her powers that is that essentially she was moving in and out of the Phantom Zone at will, and that's that's how her powers worked or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, because so, um, Epic calls it the Tesseract space. Yeah, I don't like that. Yeah, it, it's the Phantom Zone. Yeah. But, yeah. But, you know, then, you know, when it winds up at the end, uh, you know, when they're in, again, quote-unquote modern times, and it's very clearly the classic... But now it was a little confusing because the modern times, um, like there's there's a note in there, I think, in this in, in issue 80 where it talks uh, where Jimmy Olsen, I think, is working at WGBS. Right. Right. But I thought that and but they but they show uh, like the Teen Titans and Batman and the Outsiders being defeated. Now, wasn't Batman the Outsiders or was it wasn't the Outsiders team a post-crisis thing or 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 because or did it did it did it straddle both i think it's straddled okay maybe that's what are you talking about are you talking the The original batman and the outsider series i'm pretty sure that was pre-crisis yeah okay because i was reading it back then but i couldn't remember if it took place fully before or after the crisis so okay all right then i'll let that go memory serves batman and the outsiders started about a year before the crisis started i think because okay Michael Bailey and I covered um, one of the crossover, you know, the, the um, what do you call it, pre-crisis monitor appearances in that title. And I want to say that it's issue like 13 or something like that. Okay, so okay. all right. Then I'll let that go. The, then, yeah, I guess this because I, I was placing it because uh, one other article that I read saying that this was 70s um, um, Batman and Robin, but I was like, well, then they, they can't really have the Outsiders because the Outsiders was more of an '80s thing. Well, well see, that's '80s, yeah, but it was still pre-Crisis '80s, right? So, I mean, yeah, it does kind of blend and 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 blur a few lines here. And I, you know, see, that's what I liked about it a lot was that very quickly I realized, you know what, I'm just gonna have to let go of trying to figure out exactly what incarnation and and where this is, you know, where and when this is supposed to be taking place. And when I did that, I just had a blast with it because I think it's intentionally written and drawn to run with that idea that this is more of a a melding and you know more of a of an amalgamation of all those different ones. Because Superman, Batman, and Robin, to me, are very um, 70s. You know, they're very 70s, like, archetypes of that pre-crisis incarnation of those characters. You know, very much world's finest. But then there's other things that you see in this story that, as you say, some of it's pre-crisis, some of it's post-crisis, some of it's post-infinite crisis. So it's kind of all over the map as far as... Uh, what it's utilizing, but I think that actually works to the strengths of the story. I, I like that. I think that's actually really cool. And normally that think? sort of thing would just drive me nuts, but it really <laughs> works with this one. Well, what do you I'm, think I'm a little of... surprised because you usually are uh, pretty adverse when they, uh, when yeah, cause shit can continuity. Yeah, I was I, pick, picking this story. I was, I, I don't want to say sake. I was concerned, but I was curious as to how you would receive it, because in one respect, we do, you know, when we often read the old, older ones and we kind of just let things go because, well, you know, well, that is meant, especially with some of the old Superman stories. And you're like, well, well, you know, it's well, that's just silly. Or how, how does that work? Ah, we'll just let it go because it's just fun. And that's the way I kind of looked at this story, that it's just kind of right. fun. So just let it go. 
even though it's it's written it's it's a more modern you know it's more modern in its art and its and in its storytelling what what did you think of the final play page splash of, of issue of the reveal of uh of batman and robin and superman especially with robin on his uh on his motorcycle and the old batmobile back there behind batman Oh, I thought that was awesome. Yeah. I think the perspective is a little screwy on how big Superman is. Yeah, Superman is. does look a little big. I will say that. His, he's, like, really big. He's not he's that hover- far in front of him to be that big. He, he's hovering in the air in front no, of him. No, I know. I know. Also, I, I just, I, I, I don't know. I still don't see Robin calling himself the teen wonder. Well, this looks like, I mean, he's, this is looks like right when he's ready to switch over the Nightwing because he does look kind of old. Yeah, so he's, right. a little, he's a little bit too cool to be calling himself Robin the teen wonder. He should be a little too cool. Apparently, he's not. I thought the artwork in this was a little inconsistent at points. There's some points where it looks really nice, and there's others where I'm looking and thinking, eh, I don't like that. Uh, the, like one in particular that just jumped out at me is in uh, number 80. Uh, there's a shot of Superman's. There it is. On, uh, I don't know what page it is. Uh, the page that says, Meanwhile, inside the uh, impassable Omega Barrier. Right. The very bottom shot of Superman. Can't stand it. The close up of his face. Yeah. Mm. He looks like he looks like Superman just smoked a little super weed. <laughs> well, that's how he's you know, he's he's thinking that he's talking about quantum mechanics and uncertainty principle. He's probably born himself. <laughs> there's there's a few shots I'm just not crazy about. I mean, you know, the all work's not bad. There's points but, where I think it looks very good actually. But, but what about this, the one above that right above that one, look at the Look at well, okay. Superman looks a little creepy. It looks like they're getting ready to tag team Robin inside the impassable barrier. Oh, <laughs> at least Superman's got a weird look on his face. But Batman's like, "Don't worry, Robin. It'll be." Fun. Look at Superman be- on the second panel. He looks like he just smelt some dog shit. <laughs> guys are way too harsh on this story. No, I'm just making a joke on it. And, I don't and, think it's that bad. And in the uh, the bottom panel on the left, it looks like kind of Robin is like an old woman. <laughs> I like the sequence where uh, where Epoch is running away from them after Superman is uh, heat visioned his uh, what the hell? Yeah, did he you've call got it? all the different. You've got uh, they name the now, anti hourglass. I, I remember. I remember that um, unknown Superman. I remember that from somewhere, but I can't remember where I read it. Right. Well, see, it, it was obvious to me that uh, that the writer on this really knew his, you know, his uh, continuity and you know just the different aspects of the folklore because he pulled stuff from all over the place. And uh, where this story, I mean, really was was just making me very, you know, just a very happy Superman geek was uh, that middle panel there where you've got. Uh, the Batman, you know, a Batman of the future. It says the 31st century uh, Batman and Superwoman. It mentions uh, Miracle Monday, and that just that just makes me happy. And Miracle Monday is one of my favorite Superman stories. That was uh, the second novel that uh, Elliot S. Megan wrote um, back in the day. You know, when they were actually publishing DC novels. Mm. Uh, you know, they had Last Son of Krypton that came out right around the time that Superman the movie came out. And then you had Miracle Monday that came out right around the time Superman 2 was out in theaters. And uh, I love that book. Just just a great story. So, you know, just the fact that it mentioned Miracle Monday, I thought that was pretty cool. Because that's, that's a deep reference right there. 
Yes, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I was wondering if we'd had Mike. That's why uh, if Mike would be able to shed some light on s- some of these different versions with the unknown Superman and Batsman, and they were they were contending with the the greater darkness. Was the the Batsman? Is he from? Is he from Batman Superman um, Generations? Possibly. I he seems know. familiar to me, but I can't remember where I've seen him before. The Unknown Superman, that one, I, I that one, I don't know. It's not Batsman and Robins. <laughs> Might be. I like the uh, the. I guess he must be the son of Superman. He's got a big two on his chest instead of a big S on his chest. That was yeah. Actually- it says uh, where the original Batman's son. Which would that be, Damian Wayne? Uh, not at, in this, at this point in the in this continuity damian wayne as of right now damian wayne was around wasn't he in 2011 i think so i think he was See, i'm trying to remember what yeah, the deal he, was I, with with kent shakespeare because i remember i remember that from i think from legion but i don't i just can't remember what because one of the ar- articles yeah. i looked at was talking about some of these uh Every character used to take on Superman and Batman that was introduced and almost immediately discarded from Brain Taylor to Superman Segundus. So one of those, I'm not sure who Superman Segundus is. Mm. Well, Segundus would be second. Oh, okay. That would make sense. Maybe that's hmm. who... Hmm. You're primo, you got Segunda. <laughs> I did. I really did like this, though. There was a there was a moment in here that I wanted to talk about, and I'm trying to remember where the heck was it. Is it when Superman has retard face? Oh, I, it's when. Um, so the issue starts Which where issue? you know Epoch has gone back to modern times, and Superman just you know just lays right into him, but quickly realizes he's completely outmatched by this guy because he's using weaponry from the future. So he's using red sun radiation. And gravity, and uh, I love the little quote he, he says here. He says, uh, "Red Sun plus gravity subtracts the super from the Superman," and he knocks Superman out of the sky. Mm-hmm. And as Superman's falling, he says, "And what mere man could hope to defeat me?" And I just love the next panel as Superman's crashing to the ground, and Robin's kind of looking <laughs> over his shoulder like, "Shit, that must have hurt." Batman's pulling something out of his utility belt and saying, "Okay, Robin, I think that's our cue. That's great. I just that's that's actually really cool." I, I that I think that was one of the the best moments of the whole story for me. I mean, I like seeing Superman being super, but I also like it when Superman goes up against somebody that you know proves a challenge to him. And this guy was proving a challenge. I mean, he was able to to basically negate Superman's powers to a certain degree, and I like that. He was able to tug on his cape. But well, yeah, I like the whole. I, did, the, I really enjoyed this. I'm surprised you did, uh, that Paul's so harsh on it because I I just had a blast reading it. I think a lot of it for me was, for one, you know, I, I make no bones about the fact that I've been missing Superman. I've been missing Superman something awful. I have not read Superman comics in, gosh, it's got to be a couple of years now because they just got to be so shit. So to read a new, you know, more or less modern Superman story that I really enjoyed, you know, that's I was not expecting that. So that was really cool. But also, I just I really like the way that this story is written in the sense of it kind of pulls from here, there and everywhere and and really makes it work in such a way that it didn't set off that nitpicker. It actually my nitpicker was able to come out and have fun going, OK, I, I get that reference. I remember that from this and, you know, how it was all pulled together. I think if they could do this, you know, consistently month after month. You know, this this is the way DC should be writing right now, you know, and handling their characters. If you could make a successful 
blending and, and amalgamation of all the different incarnations of these characters and, and have it be a, a crowd pleaser for everybody, no matter which version you like. Hell, that there you go. And that's how this worked for me, because I could see, you know, and I, I'm focusing mostly on the Superman elements. But, you know, of course, that works for Batman as well. But with the Superman elements, I could see 70s Batman in there. I could see pre-crisis. I could see post-crisis. I could see, you know, all kinds of different things. And it just really worked. And uh, I, I think that's cool. I, I mean, that's a hell of a magic trick to pull off. But I really like it. I, I thought it worked really, really well. Well, one sequence in in here that kind of reminded me of even the cartoon um, of um, the old Super Friends one was the sequence where where they've got the heat seekers c- coming in on them and Batman goes, look out, Robin, heat seeking missiles. And that almost sounds like or the scene just looks like something from the old Super Friends, you know, the one that he just needs to say chum in there. And right. it would just sound like that. And then in the following pages, he like uses a laser or whatever to heat up the fire hydrant to draw off the heat seeking missiles, you know, because he pulled it out of his out of the old, you you know, out of the, uh, you know, he used the bat laser or whatever. You know, it just it just seemed like classic Batman to me. Oh, that's where. So. Yeah. And, and then what uh, like Robin after um, that, Robin says, uh, I I feel like I went 10 rounds with a whole squad of Gordian slavers, which at the time in the Teen Titans book back in the 80s, that's when they were dealing with the the Gordians. If if I remember correctly, were uh, one of the races that was um, that they dealt with with Starfire's people mm-hmm. when they went went to that side of the galaxy. Right. You know, so I was like, oh, yeah. So this is placing this in that in that era, in that pre-crisis, post-crisis Titans era. Right. So, and I liked how Superman scienced his way out of the out of the barrier by using uh, heating up uh, what atoms or molecules and on both sides of it, and then rupturing the barrier. Blah 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 blah. Science. Blah blah blah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so just and to, uh, the whole times Batman's just. You know, he's like, well, Robin, and in the case of a black hole, sometimes on one half of a virtual pair can appear inside the event horizon. And Robin's like, of course. And then Batman, you know, soups is just he uses his heat, heat, heat vision to heat up the molecules, whatever. You know, I'm sorry, Paul, you're about to say something. I was going to say, just to clarify, it's not that I hate this one, but it, but it seems like whenever I'm in uh, in disagreement with Scott, I get tainted <laughs> into the you hate this corner. I don't hate it. I just don't like it as much as Scott likes it. That's what I said. You hated it. Because your like is just barely above hate? <laughs> so I had to look up Kent Shakespeare because this was making me friggin' nuts. It's like, where have I heard this before? Okay, so Kent Shakespeare was essentially, he was the Superman of the future of the Legion time during five years later. And the reason this was driving me nuts is because as he looks here in the, in the picture, and again, the Friggin' pages aren't numbered, which makes me nuts in this, but it's the middle panel of that section where Epoch's being bounced through time and having his ass ass handed to him by every, like, world's finest team from the 20th to the 46th century, which is pretty cool. But that middle panel, now I presume that the guy that's that's kind of, you know, on his, uh, you know, he's sitting in the, in the you know, seated position there with kind of mm-hmm. holding his jaw, I'm presuming that's Kent Shakespeare, um, he looks really cool. He basically looks like a cross between um, Superman and Arn Monroe. 
But I was looking at that going, okay, I think that's supposed to be Kent Shakespeare, but I don't remember him looking like that. And yeah, he did not look like that in the um, in the five years later legions. They're, they're kind of playing uh, fast and loose with, you know, with the, the look, but I like this look a lot better. I think that's actually really sharp. Damn, I'd, I'd like to see like an action figure of that. I think that looks really cool. I like that outfit. Um, these other ones, though. Outfit. Yeah, it is, though. I like that. I think that's really cool. Um, these other ones I'd have to look up, though. I, I do not remember um, where I've seen the Batsman before. I know I have seen him before. I just can't remember. I don't know if that's a Elseworlds story or if that's from Superman, Batman Generations or what. I just I don't remember that. So in issue 70, did you uh, kind of catch the uh, well, it's it's e- alluded to, but it's kind of like a Pulp Fiction reference. Where? Well, um, Batman of the 853rd century says, well, that power suit you've got is useless without the control core. And and uh, Epic says, uh, you mean this control core, Batman? I picked it up a few, a few cent- centuries ago on my way here. I'd rather not discuss where I've had it hidden. Oh, yeah. So you've had this watch. <laughs> little, and now it's yours, little man. I hid this watch up, up my ass five years. <laughs> There you go, Russell. You can go watch uh, Pulp Fiction if you haven't seen it. But no, I had forgot about DC One Million and, and how they have the different, uh, like how they're spread throughout the actual solar system with like their different little headquarters and stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't sure how I really felt about that. I, I thought that was a little bit, a little bit weird. I also never read DC One Million, so that might have taken away from my. Uh, really? I've read it, but I haven't read it since it came out, so it really. Yeah. So I'd really like to read it again. I haven't read it since it came out or before then either. <laughs> I uh, I have not read it since it came out and I'm I'm a little bit afraid that uh that I might not like it or might I not remember there was stuff with like the sun and like the what yeah. is it the sun um it uh, was was it the sun eater or was that yeah. not, that was Was it wasn't the sun eater final night? Final night. Yeah, but this is also but it doesn't tie something... into All Star Superman as well, or something. It's, it's... Uh, maybe. I need I, I need to go back and listen to the ones that uh, Andy and and Michael. I think maybe right. I haven't even listened to those yet. I think you're right. I think it does tie into it, but I think it's also one of those things that if you don't know to look for it, then like me, you can just remain blissfully ignorant that it ties into All Star Superman. Because I'm not a fan of that at all. I thought All Star Superman was kind of shit, to be honest with you. But that's just me. Now I'm gonna get a flood of letters going. Like one of the great. Shut up. (laughs) I didn't like it. I hope we get that email. (laughs) <laughs> I'm gonna read it just that way. I, I I thought All Star Superman was overrated. Yeah, it was overrated. See, see, once in a while you can agree with me. Oh, I had completely. I, I didn't. Th- I didn't think it was horrible, but I didn't think it was anything really special either. I didn't think it was horrible. It's just here. Here's the thing for me is that one I'm, I'm gonna put right in the same neighborhood as say. Um, Whatever happened to the man of tomorrow? I think any idiot can write the final Superman story. I don't think it takes any special talent to write the last story of of basically any hero. You know, I mean, I get what you're saying because everybody's disposable at that point. Exactly. You know, so you can kind of do what you want because it's the last story, and unless you just you know make it super boring or something, it's going to be uh, 
different and kind of cool and everything because it's the last, you know, you're telling finally you're getting to the end of games because that's the, that's the thing with especially this particular medium with comics, you know, is that, you know, we get the beginning, we get the middle and then we get stuck. We never get the whole story with, you know, with these characters, you know, when you're talking the archetypes, you know, when you're talking your Superman, your Batman, your Spider-Man, whatever, you're, you're never going to progress beyond a particular point. And even when characters have progressed beyond a particular point, then eventually the companies just end up pushing the reset button like they've done with Superman a number of times or like they did with Spider-Man and, you know, regressing him back to being a kid in high school and all that shit. So I don't think it takes any special talent to write the last story. I just don't, you know, and, and feel free to disagree with me, but I just don't think that, you know, you have to be, you know, uh, uh, you know, some extremely talented writer to tell that story. I think basically anybody that has any sort of writing chops could to, could tell that story in their own version. And to a certain degree, you know, one degree or another, it's going to be uh, interesting and intriguing and all that sort of thing. What I want to see, and you know, here's where guys like Grant Morrison and, and Alan Moore and all those guys could really earn my respect. You know what? Write him month in and month out for a year or two. And if you can make me think, wow, that's that's a damn good run. That's phenomenal shit right there. Then you'll earn my respect. But to just pop in and pop out and upset the apple cart and do your little thing and then bugger off and everybody goes, wow, that's oh, man, that's the greatest Superman story that's ever been written. Screw you, because I've read a shitload of Superman and all star Superman and all these other ones that are always on the list of the best Superman stories. You know what? Those are stories for people that don't read Superman month in and month out for 20 years. And that's what pisses me off about lists like that. And they do the same shit with Batman. Everybody points to three or four Batman stories and go, oh, these are the greatest Batman stories that have ever been written. Well, th name three more stories. <laughs> if those are the th greatest three stories that have ever been, that ever been written about Batman, then name me three more stories. And most people can't do it because they've read those three friggin' stories and that's all they've ever read. And so that's what annoys me with when people say things like that. Because they don't My know favorite what the Batman story is the one where he about. fights the guy. <laughs> right, right, you know, you know what I'm saying. It's just it, no. I, it I, just I, I you're preaching to the choir now. I'm, I'm with you on this. <laughs> I, 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 I agree with you totally. It doesn't. It. I mean, to be fair, to write a good story is still to write a good story, but it's not as groundbreaking when you're writing the last story when you know right. everything is disposable. And personally, I've always thought whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow was way overrated. Right, it is. In fact, in fact, I like All Star Superman more than I like that. So you could send anybody wants to send that email. What did what were they going to say, Scott? Mm -hmm. They could they could send that to me. Right, because I think I think both of those stories are overrated. But if I'm going to read one of them, if I had to take one of them with me to you know in, in trade form to to reread, I would take All Star Superman over over whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow. Right. So you know, I I, I think I, personally, I think Alan Moore is a terrific writer. But his accomplishments are overstated. Some of them. Some of them. Yeah, no, I, I will agree with that. When it comes to that particular story, absolutely. <laughs> I think but even even uh, to me, that uh, the what's what's the uh, Watchmen? Watchmen is you know Watchmen's really really good. I just I don't think it's the seminal work of all time. Oh hell no! no which I is what it's what it's presented as. No, there's a number of those things that get held up like that that just make me nuts when people do well, that. They, or even the uh, what's what's the what's the, the 
the one, the, the League of Extra- Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah. It's all right. It's, it's a good story. I enjoy it. It's a clever idea. That's as far as I'm willing to go with it, though. I don't think it's an all-time classic, great, great read. I don't so know. Somebody See, just the ones that everybody read. always holds up for him, and I, you know, the the ones that uh, that I consider much better than than you know Watchmen or any of the other ones that everybody always mentions is his run on Swamp Thing, which that that run on Swamp Thing made Alan Moore. Which and I still I, think I have that's to one of the best some... things he's ever done, and uh, and V for Vendetta is a hell of a lot better than Watchmen is. I've always thought that was a better story. Somebody just lent me V for Vendetta, so I will be reading that. And uh, and I have to you know plead ignorance on Swamp Thing because I've never read that from beginning to end. What what I did read more closely though was when Jim Dietz was on here and he brought issue fifty of Swamp Thing, mm-hmm. and we went over and we broke it down, and I thought it was great. It is. It's really good stuff. He he blew that uh you know he blew that wide open because I mean his run on Swamp Thing is akin to Frank Miller's run on Daredevil where he basically he took a book and a character that at that point was at its lowest ebb where the company was like we don't care what you do you know because we're something with it anything do something do something anything exactly. And, you know, it's funny, the great runs in comics that have come out of that simple statement, because it's happened time and time again in comics where there was a, a book you know, or a character that was just floundering badly and about to go under, and they just handed it to somebody. Or somebody stepped up and said, you know what, I'd like that, please. You and are they go, yeah, floundering! Sure, yeah, you know, we, you couldn't do any worse, so here you go. And they handed it over. And then look what comes out of it. And I mean, comics history is replete with that sort of thing. You know, you got Miller's Daredevil. You've got um, you got the Roy Peter Thomas, David Neil Adams X Men. Yeah, I mean, there's there's tons of them like that. And so I always would look at those stories and think, well, then why don't you do that sort of thing more often? Then you know, when there's somebody that really is, is itching to to you know to touch a particular. Uh, a book or property or whatever and wants to be a little bit experimental and has really, you know, good ideas that maybe they seem a little bit far out or, you know, maybe takes the character out of their comfort zone or whatever. Why the hell not? Because, I mean, I think by this point there's enough evidence that sometimes great things can come from that, you know. I'm surprised yeah. that they don't allow that to happen but more I think But I think if we if we took some time to examine it, and I'm, I'm having a tough time coming up with an example off the top of my head, but I think if we took enough time to examine it, we'd find examples of the polar opposite. Where, oh, where, some, sure. where somebody basically went out. Or, or you know, we, we could go with, uh, with with Todd McFarlane on Spider-Man. That's the, 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 an example of the polar opposite. They, they, they said, yeah, good, go, run with it, do what you want to do. And, and he came up with some effed up story about the lizard and oh, it was that, that torment story. Right. Oh, I mean, and it was bring it full circle. And I'm, and I'm I mean, sure we could come up know. with for every example of one that worked out, like Frank Miller or, or you know, other ones like that. I think we could probably come up with three or four versions, you know, ones where you let somebody run wild and it sucked or it was boring. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, to bring it full circle back to you know what started this whole thing, I think uh, you don't have to look any further than uh, than Grant Morrison and Superman. You know, he writes All Star Superman, which everybody wets their pants over and says it's the greatest Superman story in 30 years. So they hand over the actual incontinuity character to Grant Morrison. What's he do? He colossally f's the whole thing up. So. Yeah, I th- you know there are definitely you know examples like that too. So and, you know th- that door swings both ways. I think I think you know it takes a 
an eye for talent. You have to see when, when somebody's got, you know, somebody should have to pitch their idea and, and, and show that they have the vision to do it. And you need an editorial staff that's that's clever enough to, you know, to, to observe that and, and to identify who has the good ideas and who doesn't. Right. You know, that that's that's the formula for success. And it's not an easy formula to, to meet, though. Right. So I don't know. We, we've we've ventured pretty far from this book. What, do we want to give this one ratings? Sure. Yeah. I think we could just do them both as one, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's 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 basically the same team. I think there was one change in the letterer or the or the colorist, but uh, other then, than we, that, then we got to rate it separately. Oh no. <laughs> um, I guess going on the covers, I'll just. Are we going to grade each cover separate or just combine I, I think, them? I think the covers you can separate. All right. Well, aside from your form-fitting paint on body paint comments i'm just going to set that aside and say uh for the cover for 79 i'm going to give it a i'm going to give it a b minus and the one for 80 i'm going to give it just a c and for the art overall for both books i'm going to give it um the art i'm going to give a b and the story i'm going to give the story a minus. So, issue seventy nine probably a uh, a B, and issue eighty probably a B as well because uh, the cover would bring it down. So I I guess a B for both books. Wow, B both books. I'll I'll go second so that Scott can give it the high rating to end this off. Um, <laughs> and I and I'm not gonna kill it anyway. But uh, seventy nine, yeah. I hate the cover. I hate it. I think it. It just doesn't look good to me. I don't like the pastel colors. I don't like the just the, the angle. I don't. I don't like anything about it. To be honest with you. Uh, that said, I'm not sure that it's still competently drawn. So I'm going to just give it a D instead of a D minus or an F. But but I, I I don't like it at all. The cover on 80 I think is more compelling than the cover on 79. But it's not necessarily a good cover. I'm going to say it's the you know it's average. Uh, looks like looks like it should be a free comic book day cover. Uh, I'll go with that. I'm gonna say a C on eighty. The interior art, I see some stuff that's really really nice to look at. I see some storytelling that's fairly decent considering it's kind of a complex story. But I also see some inconsistencies. I don't like some of the face work that's done in it. So I'm gonna say a C plus. And you know what? I'm gonna say a B minus on the interior art. I don't think it's I don't think it's bad. It's just you know there's a couple of things I'm just not happy about. Uh, story wise, it is kind of fun and it jumps all around and it still kind of maintains a, a story despite it. So I'm gonna also say a B minus for the story. So basically, I'm giving uh, a B. I'm giving a, a C plus to eighty and a C minus to seventy nine. And that's really the cover dragging both of them down from what other what I would otherwise say are B minus books. Have at right. it, Scott. Um, covers. Uh, this is going to be my hardest grade, uh, harshest grade overall. Covers both a flat F. They did absolutely nothing for me, and you know I would have totally missed these when they were out, with the exception of seventy nine saying right on it, DC one million. Um, 
you know, if, if I had seen these on the stands, I probably would just breeze right past them because I just, oh, the, I think the covers are absolutely atrocious. I really don't like these, and I really don't need to see, uh, you know, super, the, super, super unit right there on, uh, on the cover. <laughs> no matter where I try to look at that cover, that thing is just right. I'd, ah, stop doing that. So, yeah, I don't like that at all. It follows you around the room. It does. No matter <laughs> where I am, it's looking at me. Uh, <laughs> with its squinky eye. <laughs> what squinky eye? What squinky eye? Um, interior art. I will agree with everything that Paul said uh, as far as some of the inconsistencies, some of the faces, everything like that. However, I'm still going to give it a very high grade because I think uh, overall it still looks really, really well. I love uh, the modern uh inking and coloring style in here it really it works for what it for the material that it's covering uh you know the the very futuristic story and bouncing around in the 853rd century and all that i i just i think it's really cool so i really like that so i think on the art um i think i'm going to be a little more generous i I think i'm going to go uh I'm going to go a I'm going to straddle at a B plus a minus because there's definitely room for improvement. Um, most of that improvement needs to be done in the faces. But overall, I think the action is very exciting. I think the layouts are, are really, really good. It's just it, it needs a little work uh, in some of the faces, particularly Superman's face. Um where this story works for me is in the writing and in the actual story itself. Uh, I make no bones about it. I loved it. I thought it was great. And uh, it was a real treat to see something that was this modern. Wow me the way it did. And it really, really did. I, I wish that they could write more books this way and, uh, and be able to kind of pull together all these disparate versions of these characters and, and their histories and make it work. And more than anything, it's that thing that I bitch about all the time. It's fun. It was just fun. And that's where I would give it a whole lot of slack in, you know, in, in its loose continuity and everything. It's just the simple fact that I had a blast reading it. I just thought it was just a riot. So, you know, that that gets a big old pass from me whenever I just walk away going, damn, that was a fun ride. And, you know, I, I don't sweat the small stuff. So in that aspect, it totally works. So I'm giving the story a, a straight up A minus or excuse me, an A plus rather. I can't really find any point in the story where I had any major beefs or problems with it. I mean, the only thing in the entire two issues that kind of was like, eh, I could have lived without that was that moment where they're sailing through the phantom zone and you see the post infinite crisis phantom zoners that annoyed me a little bit. But again, mm. I can't bitch too much about that. If it's also giving me, you know, seventies, world's finest you know so yeah I, I liked i actually like how it was pulling from all these different versions i thought that was actually pretty neat and it does it pretty damn seamlessly which was a lot of fun too so yeah uh let's see what's that average out to i'd say a let's say like a solid b plus uh i i really enjoyed it i i would highly recommend this story for you know for people like me that are just missing some good superman stories i i thought this was a lot of fun and that's all gem I got. hidden among the yeah among the books yeah i had no idea that this this even existed silence 
silence. <laughs> oh, wait. Mail time, mail time, mail time. Here's the mail. It never fails. Makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. Mail. Mail. Now I don't have to add that sound clip in. <laughs> so Kirk writes, or, or his, his uh, email is titled, Back to the Bins 205. I guess this one's taken a while, uh, since we're up to like 240 now. What? Right. Oh, I guess we are. Hmm. Iron Man 17 from long ago. Oh, so maybe this this just is delayed in coming out. Hey guys, I just broke out my new MP3 player that I got for Xmas and downloaded a bunch of Avengers Spotlight episodes. When two others caught my attention. One that featured a review of Black Goliath number 4 and this one dealing with Iron Man number 17. Dr. Bill seemed to be recovering from an illness and was constantly talking about the food he was eating. But once, he w- once that was done, he launched into a review of Iron Man 17, written by Archie Goodwin and drawn by George Tuska, who, I agree with Paul, is not always palatable. In fact, I don't like much of his work on this series, but he, but he, did, to some work, he did do some work in Tales of Suspense 72-74, to 74, which will forever stand the test of time, the original Sleeper Saga. Anyway, Dr. Bill remarked that he didn't he really didn't know what happened after number 17 ends on a cliffhanger of Tony being impersonated by a rogue LMD as the next book he has is number 19. Well, I was there as this was coming out and while I didn't care for the story, especially the cartoony Midas on a floating throne, the next issue made me search for number 17 and get the backstory you just covered. Let me point out that number 18 features a battle royal between the old golden Iron Man and the new modern Iron Man suits, with Tony's place in the world at stake. You are right, this is before Jarvis or any of the other Avengers know that Tony is Iron Man, and they show up at the conclusion of number 18's fight, just in time to see the golden Avenger throw the modern Iron Man off a catwalk into a hot smelting pot in the Stark Foundry. They charge up to where the golden Avenger removes his helmet, as they say something like, you just murdered our fellow Avenger. A weary and sweaty Tony gets out of a clarification that, no, what you saw was the end of a rogue LMD who was a pers- impersonating Iron Man. The real Iron Man is off on a mission abroad. Uh-huh. And in one of the dramatic panels, in one of the, the dramatic panels... hell is panels, that sound? That's his fuzzball's phone. I'm being called to the fox hunt. Uh, <laughs> Release the hounds! And in one of the most dramatic... Amateurs, surrounded by freaking amateurs. I'm going to keep saying that. <laughs> so so you're an amateur sur- surrounded by amateurs. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> in, in one of the most dramatic panels I've ever seen... Next time it goes out, I'm just going to go, Tally-ho! <laughs> collapses forward, clutching his chest as his heart gives out, saying, in fact, he may never return as he dies. The story jumps over to Avengers number 69 for the second appearance of the Growing Man, who kidnaps Tony Stark from the hospital to force the Avengers into being pawns for Kang in the Grandmaster's game. They agree, and Tony lets his first operation to replace his failing heart with a new artificial heart, a new thing at the time that came out in 1970, and it resolves about five years of continuing chest plate drama that could always be counted on to trip Shellhead up. This was the big change in Iron Man that Goodwin had been moving toward in this arc, and changed his status quo. Next issue, in number 19, which Dr. Bill has read, after the dream sequence, Tony fights to live and succeeds, but decides to, to live. To, oh. 
decides to hire a replacement black man as Iron Man, Eddie March, which will have immediate fatal consequences. This is probably more than you wanted to know, but since you were pleading for emails and letters and had none, I thought I might share a little bit of my childhood and comic drama that has stuck with me all these years. I am enjoying the Avengers Spotlight episodes and would suggest that you consider three two-parters of Cap's Kooky Quartet from Avengers 1920, 21 and 22, and 23 and 24 for your next arc. They aren't good, but they are unique and have some important developments in the lives of Cap, Hawkeye, and the Mutant Twins. And Kang, too. Signed, Kirk. That's, that was actually a pretty good email. Thank you, Kirk. I, I, I like that history and giving us, uh, you know, I guess what resolved temporarily the, uh, the chest plate saga. Um, I'm sorry if I was recovering from an illness and I don't know what food I was talking about. Hmm. I'll have to go back and listen. What was I eating then? Then we do a dream sequence here. Oh, this giant Mountain Dew and Funyuns are awesome. (laughs) Somebody else want to read an email? Well, it'd probably be me because I'm sure the other professional on here doesn't have the mail open. No, I have Facebook open. (laughs) I rest my case. Scott's doing his face. <laughs> no, because he probably can't remember how to get into the mail. That would be that would be affirmative, yes. Yes. Amateurs. <laughs> Amateurs. <laughs> this comes from Professor Allen, and its subject is Bins 224, New versus Old Artists. Bin fellas. Bin fellas. Okay. Uh, I don't know about that Been one. Been there, done that. Like Mike Voiles, I am a story-first guy. As a matter of fact, I am pretty much a story-only guy. And like all of you guys, I read a lot more old stuff than new stuff. But, that being said, there are a handful of Kurt artists that I think do consistently solid work or whose work really adds to my appreciation of a book. Uh, Cliff Chang on Wonder Woman, David Aja on Hawkeye, Fiona Staples. Ah, uh, wow, how was th- Wow. And we, she just did the covers of the books we did tonight, and and we and we were full of praise for them. Yeah, <laughs> Wait, we were. Uh, yeah. Well, I think I was the nicest out of the, uh, everybody here, and Fiona Staples on lots of things. But there is no artist that is so good that I buy their book regardless of the story, and there is no artist so bad that it would keep me from buying a book with a great story. Keep up the good work, Professor Allenton. Of uh, Professor Allenton, Professor Allen, relatively geeky, darkness to light. Eh, I don't know. I think I mm, there's no artist that is so good that I would buy their book regardless of the story. I don't know. I think I would buy a book for the artist, Who? just for the art, regardless of the story. If I really like their art, like mm-hmm. uh, a Burn, an Adams, or a Perez. I would say, I would say of those three, I guess most likely one I would be most likely to buy, despite a bad story, would be Neil Adams. See, I'm I'm primarily an artist first comic book collector, so my collection is replete with books that I bought simply for the art. Uh, and sometimes the stories were horrible, or sometimes I never even read the book. I just I got it because I I love the pretty pictures that were in it. So, yeah, um, been there, done that many, many, many times. I mean, you know, there was a time up until um, trying to think where I I would have stopped doing this. It was it was definitely post 
Burns run on Superman, um, but I'm not sure exactly when. Sometime after, like, West Coast Avengers and, uh, oh, God, what was the one with the a star brand? Some, mm-hmm. Sometime after then, I stopped religiously collecting John Byrne. But before that point, I had every John Byrne you know, book he'd ever worked on that I could find on checklists that were published in like CBD. You got to remember these were pre-internet days. So now with the internet, I've since learned about, you know, a few books here, there, you know, in, in his past that I didn't know even existed, but there was a time when I owned everything he'd ever done. And many of those books were, you know, not great books, you know, but his I I got them for his art. Some of them I've never even read. Um, You know, again, I was collecting them for, you know, his art. So I don't know. I don't know what that says. But yeah. So and and on the flip side, though, um, you know, the the thing about, you know, avoiding a, a story, you know, just because of the art, I've been there, too, you know. There, there have been uh, many, you know, books and runs and different things where it's just like ah, I can't hang with this anymore. The art's just friggin' atrocious. Even if the story, you know, was something that prior to that particular artist coming along, uh, you know, something I was really digging. You know, if the art's just not doing it for me, you know, again, I'm, I'm. That's the thing for me is that you know I realize that comics is that amalgam. So for some people it's it's the writing, and for some people it's the pictures. I'm the latter. You know, I'm more about the the pictures. If the if the art's just not doing it for me, a lot of times that that can make or break a book to me because it can be one of those things that uh, you know can just sabotage the the whole medium for me when the art's just not working. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of w- w- with you on that. I don't know, I don't know what that says about us, but there's so there's been books that I've opened up and went, it just the art just takes me out of it, and I can't get into the story. That maybe this, maybe the the particular story I'm re- the particular story I'm reading at the time would have been better if I read it as a book or something separate, because then I could just visualize it myself. Whereas the art is distracting me, and I can't, I just can't enjoy it, and then I'll just you know, see, I, I think I'm a little closer to the middle of the road than you guys are on that. But I do have to admit, it's easier to work my way through a bad story with good pictures mm-hmm. than it is to read a good story with bad pictures. Yep, it's that's, just, that's, I just find it easier to to get myself through it. Yeah, that's definitely me. And I, I think you know, we talked about a little bit about this before. I can't remember the specific book we were talking about there was a, a, a Neil Adams, uh, I think it was a Neil Adams Batman where we were talking about that very thing about, you know, there's certain books out there, you know, certain issues that are held up as classic comic book stories. And I think that there's times when there's some of them that you can look at and go, is the reason that this is considered a great book or a great issue or a great story, the fact that it's gorgeous and not really so much the story. And I think that there's a fair number of Neil Adams, Batman stories that fall into that header to a certain degree. You know what I think it was? I think it was when we were covering that last chapter of the Raza Ghoul saga, Mm -hmm. I think is when that discussion came up. Because I think that there are times uh, that I have noticed over the years when I've gone back and reread some of those classic Neil Adams stories. Because not long ago, I did a, a read-through 
of Adam's uh, DC work in chronological order because I was kind of watching him and his style kind of develop through the comics. And I noticed that there were a fair number of Neil Adams, you know, quote unquote, classic comic book stories where the story was kind of run of the mill standard, you know, stuff for the day. That if it had been someone else, like, I don't know, like Irv Norvik or something, then I probably would, I, I venture a guess that nobody would remember those stories today. Uh, and I I'm going fair... to disagree to an extent, because I think a lot of the stories that, that are considered classic in the Neil Adams pantheon, you know, a lot of the, the Green Arrow, Green Lantern ones, the uh, Batman ones, the X-Men ones, uh, even, you know, the Avengers Kree-Scroll War uh, a lot of that stuff is a little dated now and seems almost to be, you know, standard tropes. But I don't think they were at the time. No. Right. I think they they were more groundbreaking at the time. But I think, you know, the passage, a lot of those stories, all the ones that I mentioned, are at least 35, 40 years ago. So, you know, comics have advanced a lot since then, and a lot of people have repeated a lot of things they've done. I mean, we found that, I think, when we did the, uh, the Claremont uh, Miller uh, Wolverine series, that a lot of the things in there have turned into cliché, but they weren't cliché at the time that came out. So sometimes it's hard to, to look at it fairly, you know, right. in, in present day. And I think Neil Adams, I think, is a victim of that. I think some of, some of the dialogue that Denny O'Neill... Uh, put on things or Roy Thomas put on things is a little heavy handed, a little over the top, a little exposition laden and and makes it seem like, wow, this wasn't as great as I remember it being. But again, I think it's that you have to look at it with the eyes of the time and say, you know, this this was pretty groundbreaking. This was stuff that other, other writers and artists were not doing at that time. Right. So, you know. I think time time can paint it with a harsh brush and make it seem more dated than it is. That's that's my my only point on that. I'm glad you agree. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy, all rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Hold on. I gotta stretch. Oh, my spine! You are failing!